The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. The scripture today is Psalm 93. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew back or close by. And if you don't have one at home, we'd love to give you one as a gift. They're available um, at the info table after the service. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O God. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lift, lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord is high. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all. My name is Neil. I'm on staff here at the church. I receive formation and missions and have the privilege of walking through Psalm 93 this morning with you. So I have no other announcements for now. So let's pray and then we'll get into the text together. Father, we thank you um, that your word is indeed trustworthy, just as we heard. And we ask that this, this trustworthy word, that this, this speech of our God that is worthy of our affection and our confidence, that it would come to dwell richly within our, our hearts, our minds, our souls, uh, what we delight in, what we see, what we meditate on. Um, just even in this room, the the tensions that all of us feel and experience walking into the room this morning, um, the, the losses, the heartache, the devastation, the confusion, the doubts, the difficulty, um, all of that is, is known by you. It's known by a, a sovereign God who is, is king, but also the one who, who came to draw near to his people um, in that suffering, in that pain, in that brokenness. And so, May we experience that. May we know that our God is for us in a way that perhaps we did not know before. Where we've forgotten, where we've grown sleepy or tired, wake us up. Oh, Spirit, cause us to see afresh the reality of who you are and what you do on behalf of your people. This, this comes by grace. This comes by your, your kindness and mercy. Uh, we can't conjure that up. We, we can't force ourselves into growth or having affections be stirred. We need the work of your spirit to come and do that. And so we ask humbly um, that you would work through this psalm, uh, through these, these words that were penned many, many years ago, uh, bring them to bear into our lives, our individual lives, our collective life, our relationships, our decision-making, and may we come to know our God in a fresh way. So help us now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife and son and I just got off a plane at about 7 p.m. last night. Um, we spent a week on America's third coast. And I've, I've learned that there's debate as to what America's third coast is. Some say it's like Salt Lake City or it's the greater Great Lakes region. Uh, those from Michigan, which my wife and her family hail from Michigan, Say it's Lake Michigan, and specifically, it is up north during the summertime on the beach in Michigan. Now, I'll, I'll confess, for many years, I was a doubter. 
I began dating my wife, let's see, over a decade ago, and she would talk about, you know, she grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We'd drive, you know, two, three hours, we'd go to Lake Michigan. We'd go to where the water is clear, like Caribbean-style water. I'm like, no, that's, that's not true. Uh, that's not possible. And she oh, no, it's, it's amazing. There's like wineries everywhere and like the cherry picking and there's beaches and people like, it, it's warm. Like it's Michigan up north, close to, like you can almost see Canada and it's warm. I'm like, no, no, it's probably not true. We went through our relationship. Uh, we were married and still years went by and I would hear about going up north in Michigan. Well, finally, I had to concede once I visited up north that my wife was correct. All the stories were true. When I visited a little place called Traverse City, because I've ever been to, or Glen Arbor, they have a number of different towns around there. And it's, it's not just the wineries, it's not just Cherry Republic, where they have cherry everything, and you're like free samples everywhere, and you're, you're fighting seven-year-olds to get dark chocolate-covered cherries, and they're licking the spoon, and you're trying to figure out what to do with that, and you're going to Sleeping Bear Dunes and hiking. Um, it's not just those things. Most of all, it is the water. It's the lake. You know, we stayed this past week on a cottage. I think people from Michigan are pretentious enough to not call them a house. It's a cottage. Like, oh, they have a cottage. Well, it looks like a house to me. Like, oh, it's a cottage. So right, right there on Lake Michigan, had a little beach area, you, know, you got the canoes, and, and able to, to take that canoe out 150, 200 yards out and look 20 feet down to see the bottom of this clear blue water. And I would look up and I would see paddle boards go by. I would see uh, jet skis and jet boats. You'd see skiers and wakeboarders. You'd see people on pontoon boats, like doing whatever you do on pontoon boats. Like that was happening over there. People on the beach, you know, playing spike ball, beersby, uh, throwing a football, like swimming in the water, enjoying the waters. And I think that epitomizes so much of how Western society, how we, we understand and view water, how we think of lakes and rivers and the ocean. It's a means of our recreation. It's a means of fun. It's something that we can harness, we can get a hold of and, and leverage for our delight in some way. Um, sure, there, there's some transportation that goes on, and uh, sure, we, we can get some food from it. Um, and sure, there's some intimidating dimensions to the waters when storms come. But for the most part, we think of, ah, a lake, a beach, an ocean. Like, this is a place to, to rest. This is a place to enjoy. This is a place to have fun, to have delight. The opposite vision was true for those in the ancient Near East. Uh, for those living in the time when this psalm was penned, really, really the entirety of Scripture, the entirety of the Bible, when they thought of the waters, when they thought of the seas, when they thought of uh, the oceans or different bodies of water, large bodies of water, they did not think vacation. They thought danger. They thought this is the place where, where storms roll in. This is the place where when we try to, uh, to, to take a boat across this water and a storm comes in, it, it may break our boat in half. Uh, when the rains roll in, the winds roll in, when the waves crash against us. Now, this is the, the place that um, it holds these crazy sea monsters that we're really not sure what to do with. And so you have things like the Leviathan that's pictured in, in places in Scripture. There's all, all sorts of debate as to what that really is, but there's like, there's sea creatures out there, and we don't know what to do with them. They'll probably kill us. That's a place of danger. It's a place of chaos. And so the waters, the sea, it came to define chaos more broadly for people in that culture, in that time period, for, for many, many years. 
Um, and really, there's been a, a shift in the not too distant past in, in how we think about that. In fact, one of the canoe rides that we did on, on vacation was to, uh, to go about 200, 300 yards out, and you could see a shipwreck, the top of a boat from a shipwreck from just 100 years ago. It was coming into this, seemed like a relatively docile port, um, and, and somehow the waves crashed into that and, and broke the boat enough to, to sink it. That's how most societies have, have understood the seas. And so it was something to be feared, and it was something to respond to, to try to find hope and rest in the midst of that. Uh, one author put it this way, in the Bible, as well as in the ancient Near East, the sea represents chaos and disorder, as do the sea monsters that live there. The obvious physical struggle between the sea and the land, as well as the fierce, seemingly unstoppable energy displayed by the savage sea, gave rise to cosmic myths in these cultures. So, so what he's saying is that people in these cultures would, would see and experience the waters. They, they, they would feel all the impact of that, the danger of that. I'm sure they knew someone who had lost their life because of the sea, it had done much damage. And they say, that, that's chaos. We, really, more broadly, we need something or someone or a series of someones to do something with the chaos. And if you can conquer the sea, then you can conquer anything. If you can conquer the waters, then you have a right to rule everywhere, and your power is, is probably unmatched. That's why you would see in the, in, uh, the Babylonian culture, the Enuma Elish, their creation epic, uh, was actually Marduk conquering the goddess of the sea, Tiamat. And that's, that's the basis of, part of the basis of their, of their creation. The seas were conquered. The, the waters were, were, were put away from us, and now we are safe. That's something that we can worship. You'd see this in, in other cultures as well. And, and what we see in, in Israel and Scripture is not much different. And that's how the, the seas function. That's how the waters function in the Bible. It signifies all that is chaotic and disorderly, in this world. Things that are not the way that they're supposed to be. The brokenness, the frustration, the devastation. Uh, things that, that fall apart, that don't meet expectations, that, uh, that really aren't the way that we anticipate, that we desire, and that they're designed for. So look with me. If you close your Bible, you can open back up to Psalm 93. Uh, look with me at verse 3. Let me start there. Psalm 93, verse 3, it says, The floods, and elsewhere it refers to the waves and the waters and the sea. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. This is a, a voice of opposition. This is a, a repetitive voice that is coming up against God's reign and rule in, in trying to mess with his design for it. It's where the chaos is found. What does this mean for us? How, how does that even connect to us? Uh, I'd imagine that all of us, if we could take a moment or two, can identify areas of chaos in our lives. Uh, maybe we don't fear the waters necessarily. Maybe we see it as a beautiful place to go and, and relax. But, but it represents a category of life experience that is felt by every human being, every human person. No matter your relationship with God right now, no matter um, if you've been in a dry season, a really rich season, maybe you've walked with Him for decades, maybe you're newer to the faith, maybe you don't even trust in Him at all and never have, by virtue of being a human being in this world, you've experienced the chaos. 
You've experienced the brokenness in this world, that things are not the way that they should be. There's actually a design and a direction for these things, and, and you feel the lack. You feel the absence of what it could be, what it should be. So maybe for you, it's in your work. Maybe it's in your vocation, your occupation. Now, God has wired you in certain ways. You have certain gifts and desires and abilities, and you, you would love for the things you do on a regular basis to align with that. And maybe you've invested time and money and energy into an education right, to, to move in that direction, and you haven't been able to, to land a job that actually meshes with that. You find discouragement. You find frustration. You know it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's, it's frustrating. It's hard. It's, I want to be doing something that I, I feel like is actually utilizing and leveraging what God has given to me to serve others, and I feel again and again unfulfilled, unrecognized, disappointed, discouraged in the work that I do. Maybe it's gone on for a year. Maybe it's gone on for five. Maybe it's been your entire career. That's a part of the chaos. That human beings not doing the things that, that God has wired us and created us to do for the good of others. Maybe it's not in work. Maybe it's in relationships. Uh, maybe it's, it's in a, a long-standing friendship um, that, that is fallen apart. It has fallen through the cracks. It, it is broken because of some sort of, of hurt or betrayal of trust or difficulty. Maybe it's with a family member. Um, maybe you have memories of, of really good experiences with family, but, but now that is, is just that. It's memories. You don't have what it used to be. Uh, maybe it's a, just a simple isolation. It's a longing for relationship with others, to, to know and be known with consistency, and you've just been met with failure again and again and again. Or maybe you have good relationships on paper. Maybe you're, you're plugged into a gospel community here. Uh, maybe you've got good relationships with friends, or you're married, and it's with your spouse and your, your family, and you've got other, other community elsewhere. It looks good from the outside, but it, at the same time, you feel a hollowness to it. But they don't really know you. They don't really care. At least you suspect they don't. There's just an absence of the relationship that you long for. This, these are forms of the chaos that we feel, a disorderliness in the world, a, a tension, a difficulty. Maybe it's with your health. Uh, maybe you have something chronic that there's no sign that it's, it's ever going to change in this life. Uh, maybe it's just for a season, and you anticipate it's just going to be for a season, but that's withheld you from doing certain things that you've longed to do, you've anticipated doing. That's kept you from different opportunities. Maybe it's not your health. Maybe it's the health of a loved one, a child, a parent, a good friend, a sibling. Someone that you feel the, the emotional angst for, you feel the, the burden of, of caring for relationally, but also your time and your money, your energy uh, to, to invest in and, and, and build up and support this individual. And it, and it weighs on you. It's taxing. And it seems to come wave after wave after wave to, to never leave. Or maybe it's less external and it's more internal. You know, a, lot of the, a lot of the chaos we feel is, is outside of us, but many times it, it's centered right there in our own minds, in our own emotions, in our own affections. And I'm just trying to make sense of why am I experiencing what I am experiencing. I, you know, to be honest, this is most often where I experience the chaos. It, it's, a, it's a sense of weighty discouragement that will just rush into my life and be like, why? Like, where is this coming from? 
And, and sure, I can point to that conversation or, or this occurrence or that dynamic over there, but really not fully. It, it doesn't really explain it. And, and it can just pull me into this, what has become in the past and, and still at risk of being a season of just discouragement and having to fight to see what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, who Jesus is in the midst of that. So maybe it's something going on internally in your own experience. It's anxiety, it's depression, it's grief and loss that, that just continues to batter your life. Maybe it's trying to make sense of, of your own sexuality and say, how do I honor God and submit to Him, but also what's going on inside of me? What do I do with this? And how do I have the right kind of community that's going to point me toward Christ, but also be honest with reality? Many times the chaos is is right there within ourselves. Maybe it's a general sense of, I'm just not where I want to be in life. Things have not panned out the way I expected, the way I planned for, the way I anticipated. Uh, Things aren't bad necessarily. They're just less exciting. They're less fulfilling. They're less... I don't know, it's just not what I thought. Like, this is not the life that I thought God had for me and laid out for me, and here I am, stuck in the, the rhythms of, of what feels like kind of a monotonous drudgery. That also is a form of chaos. It, it, we could list a thousand more. All of us experience the chaos in different se- seasons and in different ways, but there's no escaping it. And if you're in a season right now where you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the chaos. That's not battering against my life. It it will come. You've probably experienced it before, and it it most assuredly will come again. And the question is, what do we do with this chaos? How do we respond to the chaos that beats against our lives? And it does indeed beat against us. The the text even communicates this, the repetition you see with the floods in verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. That's meant to show us through a word picture of these waves just crashing into our life again and again and again, and we know what that's like of the chaos coming in. It rushes in. It gives no grace. Just when we start to get our head above the water in one area, three more areas start to, to flood us again, and we find ourselves drowning. And so how do we respond to this chaos, to these waters? I think we, we often go one of two different ways that, that don't take us toward the path of life. One of those is numbing tex- techniques. We have different techniques, different ways of kind of numbing ourselves to the pain and to the chaos. And, and it could be things that, that seem as harmless as Netflix. I'll be f- first to say, I think Netflix is a, a beautiful gift of God in life. It's a little dangerous at times when the show will just kind of roll through after, what, like 10, 15 seconds, and no one has the emotional energy to kind of get up and change something. Um, You make excuses for a little while, and then, oh, well, the next show's starting. Totally get that, but that's where the danger lies. A really good gift, something that can be a good way to kind of enjoy the creativity of those who create TV shows and movies and, and tell really effective stories about the, the dynamics of, of human life. But it can become something that we numb ourselves to the reality of this world. We don't want to be honest with what's going on. We just want to watch a little more Netflix. Or a close cousin would be social media. And, and, and the, the ability with which we can flip the phone out of our pocket, open up an app and scroll through. I mean, I, I witnessed people doing this without even looking at, 
at the phone. I mean, just like in conversation and you've like liked several pictures along the way and retweeted a couple things. Like the, the ability that we have now, I mean, this is becoming a, a cultural issue as we look at the younger generation, Gen Z, coming up. Actually, studies are showing that um, things like school dances and proms, they're becoming less attended, and some schools are doing away with them because what they want to do is stay at home and Snapchat. I mean, that's, that's the means of their interaction. Um, and that's true for all of us to some degree, right? Uh, but but it, we're seeing that, that kind of come to its fullness in this next generation, even to the point where uh, the, the desire for getting a driver's license is becoming less and less and less. Kids are 17, 18, and still not getting a driver's license because they don't have a desire to go physically be with people. It's, I've got relationship via a screen. I have what's sufficient. Now, again, social media, it's great. I think it's a great avenue to stay connected to people and craft really good images and communicate different things. It's, it's a really good gift. And yet it can numb us to the brokenness and the chaos that we feel. And it can perpetuate that chaos by, by telling us we need to craft a certain image and invest our energy and time to craft a certain image to be good enough to compete with what we see out there on a screen. And so we can numb ourselves. And we can list off the many others. Alcohol. Again, a good gift that we can then run to and use in a way that God did not intend for the human body to, to take in of alcohol so that we can distance ourselves from the realities of what's going on. Or pornography. We take the good gift of sexuality, we skew it, we pull it out of the context of marriage, and we say, I just want to enjoy the benefits of it over here to escape reality for a little bit. And then I can kind of go back in and, and kind of grit my teeth and, and bear it for a little while longer. We find ways to numb ourselves. But if it's not numbing, it's probably a series of human-powered solutions that we run to. Maybe we say, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to numb myself. I'll be honest about it. But the way I'm going to cope, the way I'm going to navigate, the way I'm going to move forward is by using my mind, using my abilities, using my competency to kind of get a hold of the chaos, get a hold of this brokenness and, and figure it out, get my mind around it, and figure out a plan to navigate it so that I don't experience this brokenness anymore. I have a life plan. I have goals. I have an annual plan. I have where I want to go and, and, and the exact path for how I'm going to get there. People then become burdens upon my desire to get there. We have this desire. We have this vision. And we say, well, if people are going to tread on that, be it a husband or wife, be it kids, be it a close friend, be it uh, the local church, whatever else, we say, if you're going to tread on my vision of what I want to do, where I want to go, then I'm going to I'm going to push you to the side. Like, you're not going to become an influencer for me. Yours is not a voice I'm going to hear. And so we can rely upon our ability to get a hold of life and try to move forward. So again, annual planning and goals and disciplining ourselves, really good gifts. But when our confidence goes there, we need to consider where that takes us. I think another one that, that is increasingly uh, common, especially in the church, is if I can just be introspective enough and find the right tool or test to kind of understand how I'm wired, then that's my means of salvation. Like once I can get language for it, you know, once I've got uh, an acronym or enough strengths finders or I've got a number on the Enneagram and I know like the points of integration and disintegration, but I can kind of Enneagram my way out of this chaos. Like I can figure it out. Now again, Really good gifts. I, I, can, I can rattle off all those things for, for how I'm wired. 
and it, they're really helpful tools, but I think we can, we can tilt toward this now becomes my savior. This now becomes my means of salvation. It's something that humans have created and humans rely upon thinking that we can escape the chaos. What do you run to when the chaos batters your life? Where does your heart gravitate? Uh, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, has a, a quote that says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. I think it's especially true when the difficulty and brokenness hits our lives. What do you cling to? What do you confide in? What do you run after there? That will give you the essence of your religion because you're now orienting your life, your decisions, how you make sense of things around that. And the question is, where does that take us? And I want to even take, we have a little bit of response time at the end of the sermon, but I want, I want to take even a moment now to consider the end of these different paths, to numb ourselves through different mechanisms that don't allow us to feel what's going on, and a, a fully human-powered solution that, that says, I can figure it out, or other people can give me the resources to figure it out on my own, void of the God who is. Where does that take us? And is that life? Is that joy? Is that the, the fullness, the, 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 the reintegration that every human longs for to be put back together in the way that they were actually made to be? Does it actually work? I think one of the tests that we can give to different worldviews is, does it actually produce fruit? Does it actually produce res results? Does it actually work? But I think all of us in our stories can attest to how running to, to different ways of numbing is, is going to only increase the pain, increase the difficulty, even if it just pushes it down the road a little bit further, or we just pass it on to the next generation. And if we just rely upon human solutions, those work for a little while, but then we have a new fad, a new book, a new publisher, a new plan, a new something to kind of run to, a new personality test. Oh, now this is where the hope is. And somehow it doesn't really solve the underlying tension in your marriage. It somehow it doesn't really solve the discouragement and the pain and the depression that you feel. It still is there. You still feel the aches of the chaos. So is there a better way? I think this psalm resoundingly declares that indeed, yes, there is a better way. And it comes at the beginning of the psalm, first one of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the, than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. O Lord on high is mighty. Another way to translate that first part of verse 1, the Lord reigns, would be the Lord is king. The Lord has arisen and proven himself to be king. And the way that the psalmist argues here is that he's done it all the way at the very beginning. All the way at the very beginning, all that would represent the opposition to God, the chaos and disorderliness in the world, God has declared, here are your boundaries. I rule over you. 
I know the purpose that I have for you, but you do not come against me. You do not rule over me, and you do not rule against my people. This actually ties in with what God communicates with Job. If you know something of the story of Job from the Bible, here is a guy who knew chaos to the fullest degree. Um, He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his work. He lost his relationships. He lost his status. Everything that that these good gifts that God had, had given to him, in almost an instant, he lost it. It was stripped of him. He's trying to figure out what is going on. I've maintained faithfulness with God. Sure, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I've maintained covenant faithfulness with God. How, how can this be? And God hears him out. And then God responds. If you want to flip back to the left a little bit, to Job 38, starting in verse 1, you can see how the Lord answers Job. And he gives us a picture of what this psalm is talking about as well. So Job 38, starting verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God uses sarcasm. Just going to throw that out there. A debate about role of sarcasm. There can be some unhealthy areas for sarcasm, but God uses sarcasm. All right. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Hear this. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. God is declaring to Job and he's declaring to us that he rules the chaos. He rules the world. He rules the entire cosmos and he has from the very beginning and that includes what you're facing right now. That includes the tension and difficulty, the heartache, the loss, the grief, the devastation, the sin, the things that batter your life. God rules over these things, and he says to the chaos, this far and no further. And let this be an encouragement to us as his people for two reasons. One, he says no further. He knows the boundaries that he set for the chaos that is in your life right now, and he has spoken to it, and he says, no further. You you go this far, I know what my son, what my daughter can handle right now, can navigate in this season of their life, what they're walking through and where they are in relationship with me. This far, no further. He sets the bounds of the chaos that you're walking through right now. Second, and this is the one that I think we have a harder time with, The same God who says, and no further, is also the one that said, this far. So the God who who said, no no, no further than that, he's also the one that said, yes, this far. The chaos can go, the waters can go, the seas can go up to this point. I have prescribed the limits for it, and this is how far it shall go. I think this is where we have a hard time in relationship with God, to say, will I submit to a king? Will I submit to a God who reigns in this kind of way, who rules over all of it? 
including the chaos that he brought into our story, that he brought into our past, that he brought into our present and our future. Well, I would say this is precisely the God that we must trust, that we must put our faith in, our confidence in. For anything less would be a a lacking, anemic, powerless God who can't actually control the thing that is threatening our lives. And yet the, the vision of this psalm is that that is exactly what we have back in Psalm 93. I want to read through it again, and then we'll finish with verse 5, where everything is headed. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. This language earlier on there where God is putting on these garments, he's robing himself, putting on the belt. This is not some sort of idle, passive king who sits on a throne who has a nice wardrobe. Uh, This is a God who's, who's actually putting on battle garments to go out and do war against the chaos. So, so, so the God who, who, who ushers the chaos in, prescribes the limits for it, is also the one who does battle on behalf of his people in the face of it. And he's with you in the trenches as a good, good father and a warrior king who is crushing the enemies of his people. This is the, the paradox and the beauty that we find in the God of the Bible, that he draws near in intimacy and closeness and tenderness, and at the same time is warring against all that would threaten our lives in an ultimate way. This is the king that we serve. This is the king that we're, submit, where we're called to submit to. And he's the one who is mighty and is conquering that which would threaten us. But then look with me in, in verse 5. Where is all of this headed? Why is this good news for us? Your decrees, your word, all that you've uttered from your mouth, O oh God, these are very trustworthy. Holiness befits or is the beauty of your house, O Lord, O Yahweh, forevermore. So why, why is all of this good news for us? Well, ultimately, it's because the king who does battle against the chaos is the one who came to us in the person and work of Jesus to experience the chaos on our behalf. So we do not have a God, we do not have a king who is distanced from us, but actually took on the human experience, took on human flesh to walk in what we walk in to experience the fullness of broken humanity. And, and, and the, to the greatest extent, where he went to the cross, where he suffered social isolation, a, a, a breakdown in, as God the Father looked upon the Son and his wrath being poured out upon the Son and Jesus crying out, why have you forsaken me? Feeling the forsakenness of the Father. The physical pain that he walked through that he experienced, that he willingly took on. You see, with, with Jesus, there was no this far and no further for the chaos. It was the full torrent of the chaos that he said, yes, bring it upon me so that others may have life, so that others may know how to walk through the chaos they experience and be brought into this house because that's what God is ultimately doing in this world. He's creating a dwelling place for himself amongst his people. And through the person and work of Jesus, through the word who took on flesh, 
He's borne the chaos for us. He's borne the sin and the brokenness in this world and then conquered it, coming to new life, coming out of the grave, crushing sin and death and Satan and the chaos and saying, now all who would, would have life, all who are thirsty, all who hunger, all who feel the lack, oh, just come to me, look to me, trust in me. And there you'll find life in the midst of the chaos that you're still walking through now. A friend of mine came up to me after the first service and um, just some of the chaos that he's been walking through for years and, and definitely feeling the, the battering waves again and again and again. And in, in the question of, I think that, that comes up for a lot of us, it's like, sure, okay, look to God as the king, but really what do I do with that? Okay, I don't want to numb myself. I don't want to have these kind of human-powered solutions, but what do I do in the face of the chaos that I experience? And, and I think we can, do, we can have many discussions about what that looks like, but it at least it starts with declaring what we see in Psalm 93. To wait upon the Lord as the Bible would define it, which is an active trust, walking by faith, not by sight. One that declares the Lord reigns. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is king. He's king over this chaos that I'm, I'm facing right now, this difficulty. And he's the one who's robed in majesty. Yes, he's robed. He's put on strength as his belt because I know the Lord is doing battle against the chaos on my behalf. No matter what it feels like, I know he's up to something for my good. Because all the way back at creation, he established the world and he, he told the waters where to go. He told the chaos where to go this far, no further. And so I know that he's doing that in my life now. And so now I'm going to respond in faith and walk in obedience and do it again and again and again, trusting that the Lord is king, that he is for my good and plead with him to give me respite, plead with, with him to, to give me a sense of his spirit and his presence, uh, to, to know the tender love of this father who is also the king doing battle against the chaos. And so let's continue the conversations in our gospel communities, over dinner, with our friends, but, but let's start there declaring that the Lord is king, and this is really good. This is a really good thing for us. And I want to take just a couple minutes for us to consider our own hearts. Where are we in relationship to the chaos? Um, where are we in relationship to God in the midst of that chaos? So I want to take just a, a couple minutes here, uh, but to be still and quiet. Yeah, elsewhere in the Psalms, that we're, we're meant to be still and know that he is God, that he will be exalted among the nations. Yes, he will be exalted. And so to, to think about what, what chaos are you facing right now? Be willing to name it. Be honest with it. How are you responding to that? Discern in your heart, where am I running? Am I numbing? Am I relying upon my own strength? Am I doing something different? And then what does it look like to turn to the God who came to you in the person and work of Jesus, who is king, who's conquering king, who's also a tender, loving God who comes near to his people and is doing good work in and through you, even in the midst of the chaos. So consider that, pray through that, be still before the Lord, and then we'll come back together in just a minute. Jesus, we declare that you are indeed king, the one who reigns. And though we may not feel the goodness of that reign right now in, in very acute ways, it will give us the ability to hear your voice over the voice of the waters. Give us the ability to, to declare what is true 
even in the face of, of so many realities that, that make it feel untrue. And deliver us. May, may we find confidence and joy and hope and rest in you, knowing that, that you, you are the one for weary souls. You're the one that, that gives true rest uh, to those who are, are beat down by the, the battering waves of, of the chaos in this life. So may we draw near to you and, and feel even just a glimmer, a whisper of, of delight in that reality. Uh, to know that you are the God who is and who is for his people and for us as individuals as well. So help us now, Spirit, work for your name, for our good. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.